Amen. Hey, let, let me tell you this. When I was uh, I was on Facebook one time a couple months ago, and I was looking at Facebook, and uh, right when you log on to Facebook, you get the notifications, right? And usually the first thing that comes up on your notifications is birthdays. And it comes up, and it tells you whose birthday it is. And then it had this message on there, and it hadn't had it before, but this time it did, and it said this. So-and-so's birthday, send them good thoughts. Send them good thoughts. And I'm like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean, to send them good thoughts? But, but they change it from tell them happy birthday or give them a gift to send them good thoughts. Because we, we've moved from actually doing something to no longer doing anything. We've moved from actually being involved in people's lives to just sending them good thoughts and that's enough. You know when people are sick and you hear on the radio what, when a tragedy happens or someone, something bad and terrible happens, what they say is, hey, make sure you include them in your thoughts. Make sure you think about them. I'm like, maybe don't think about them. Maybe actually just do something for them. Maybe don't just think, maybe actually do. I think sometimes we got too many thinkers and not enough doers. You know what I mean? Too many thinkers are like, well, I have a lot of great ideas. Well, a great idea is, is not really anything unless you can actually activate that thing. And so today I want to I talk to you a, a, about a message, and the title of it is called The Bridge. The Bridge, because... Easter is coming up today is Palm Sunday, actually. Easter is coming up next Sunday, and I want this week to be a week where we don't just think about who we should invite, but we actually bring somebody with us. That we don't just think, man, next Sunday when we have a great Easter service, we think after, I wish this person would have been here. I wish I would have thought about I wish I would have brought. Let's not do that. Let's think about them now so that next week they're all coming with us coming with us to the 7 or the 8.30 or the 10 or the 12, whatever service it may be. Let's think about it. Because I believe that God has called you and I to be a bridge. He's called you and I to be a bridge. He's called us because right now there's a gap between our friends and our city and a man named Jesus who died for them. Right now they don't know that he, that he died for them. They don't know that he is here to save them. And so you and I have a responsibility. Our responsibility, once we get saved, once we give our life to God, our responsibility now moves from just receiving Christ to telling other people about Christ. We now become the bridge. And I believe this, I, I believe that there hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people next week are going to come to know Jesus. Because of you standing in the gap, of you being the bridge. So I want us to read the scripture this morning in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 25. This is what it says. It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? That's Jesus speaking. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the man answered, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go 
and do likewise. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this message. Lord, I thank you that every single one of us today would walk out of here inspired, inspired to be the invitation, inspired to be the bridge for our family members, for the people that we know, for the people that we work with. God, that next week this house would be filled with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people experiencing a real, powerful, loving God for the first time. So God, move in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I love this story. I I love it because Jesus kind of shows us how we can be a bridge. He gives us the perfect example of how you and I can live our life as a bridge. So he says this, that that, that if you want to kind of serve God and and what, what does that look like and how do we inherit eternal life, he says this. He says you need to love God first with everything, but that's not all. See, it's not just okay to just love God. It's not just okay to love God. That's where it starts, but that is not where it ends. He says, I love God with everything that you have, but also love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the cool thing, Jesus says this, do this and you will live. See, unless we are loving our neighbor like we love ourselves, then we're actually not living. So we're alive, but we're not living. You and I start living when we start living our life to love other people. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We want to save our life. We, we want to excel. We want to flourish. Well, what if we start thinking about other people like we think about ourselves? What if I start thinking about my neighbor like I think about myself? I'm so thankful that somebody brought me and invited me to church 10 years ago. I'm so thankful somebody said, hey, let's go and check out C3 Church. It's new. It just started. It's a really cool place. And I walked in, and literally, as I walked in and sat in the worship, I said, man, something came alive on the inside of me. Purpose came alive on the inside of me. I thank God that that happened. But Jesus says this, if you do it, then you're going to live. You want to know what real living is? Be an invitation to somebody. Bring a bridge to somebody's life. See, I'm not just going to live my life for me. I'm going to live my life for other people. He who loses his life, the Bible said, will find his life. He who says, man, my life is no longer my own. In fact, the Bible says it, that our life is no longer our own. It was bought with a price. Jesus paid for it and bought it. So now when I give my life to Jesus, I actually give him my life. I give him everything. I give him my purpose. I give him my plans. I give him everything. So now when when God says, I need you to go, I say, okay, let's go. Let's go. Why? Because I've given him my life. He says, if I love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to live. I'm going to have real life. Because I see people walk forward who we invited. See people come to church. See, see lives change. See, see marriages come together. See people who walked in single get married and have kids and, and have babies in, in the house of God. That's some, one of the greatest things that you could ever see. All because you love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, do this and, this and you will live. This is the way of life. And he says, a certain man was walking. doesn't even say who it was. doesn't say where he came from. doesn't say his background or if he was high up or low up. doesn't matter. Because they're human. God loves everybody. God loves everybody. He says a certain man was coming and then he fell among thieves. And basically the Bible says this, that they stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Basically they exposed him. So now he's exposed. Now he's hurt. And then he was abandoned. And then he was left half dead. So you and I know somebody today who's been exposed, who's been abandoned, who's been hurt. And who feels like they're dead. Who feels like they no longer want to live. They no longer see a point to them living anymore. You and I know people just like that. There's a reason that Jesus says that. Because he's trying to relate every person that we know to this story right here. Since we know people like that in our lives who are hurt. Who are wounded. Who are broken. And who need Jesus. 
and he says this, he says that right after that a priest came, a priest who was meant to be for the people, a priest who was meant to be the person that stands between their sinfulness and God, who was meant to be that. And as he comes, the Bible says, he looks at the man that needs help and he goes to the other side of the road. He goes the opposite direction of the very person that he was called to reach. And he walks to the other side of the road and he keeps going on. And then a Levite comes, and a Levite is a servant in the house of God. If you know anything about Levites, that's what they did. They tore the temple, they set the temple up, they tore it down, they served. They were the parkers, they were the ushers, they were the media team. That was who they were. So a Levite that was meant to serve looks at this man who needs help. And again, and again the Bible says that he goes from, when he looks at him, he walks to the other side of the road to get away from the man that needs help. See, the crazy thing is, is this, is... Jesus says that this certain man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. See, the Levites would work in Jerusalem, but they would live in Jericho. See, I think the Levites said this, well, I've done my job. I've done my duty. I've just been in the temple all day. I've been setting up. I've been tearing down. I've been, I've been putting things together. I've been putting envelopes on seats. I've been, I've been serving in this area and in this capacity and doing this thing. God, isn't that enough? God, isn't that enough just to do that? Isn't it just enough to serve? Isn't it just enough? But Jesus is given a great picture here. He says, no, it's not enough. Because don't, don't get so involved in your serving that you miss out on what it's all about. Don't get so lost in you just setting up and tearing down. You, you forget that we're doing everything we do for people. Every time you set up, it's for that lost person. It's for that abandoned person. It's for that hurting person. It's for that broken person. It's for that person that doesn't want to live anymore. Every time you park somebody in, it's for that person. It's not to check off your list that you're doing something for God. It's for that person that's so broken and hurting that they need Jesus. That's why we do it. And then I love what Jesus says. Since then, there was a Samaritan. Now, just Jesus saying a Samaritan was crazy. Why? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. They didn't like them. To them, they were half-breeds. To them, they were like good for nothing. But Jesus says, look, the priest who was the highest walked by. The Levite who was great walked by. But the Samaritan who you think is worthless, he stopped. And then this is what's great because the priest and the, and the, uh, and the Levite looked at him and walked away. But the Bible says this, when the Samaritan saw him, Jesus' word says he went to where he was. He went to where he was. He didn't just look at him. He didn't just look at him from the road and say, man, you need some help. Let me go get some help. Let me go find a pastor. Let me go find a leader. Let me go find somebody of influence. I'm going to help. I'm going to get them to help you out. No, the Bible says that the good Samaritan went where he, from where he was down to the, where the man was. He got down to that place and said, where you are, that's where I'm going to be. The great thing is, is it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just stop. He doesn't just pour wine on him and oil on him. The Bible says that he had compassion on him, but compassion is not enough. It's not enough to have compassion without action. The good Samaritan had compassion, but then he was moved to action. So he helped him out. He walked him to the inn. He put him up in the inn. He paid his own money. What does that mean? He took responsibility for the man who, who was injured, not by his doing. So you and I know people right now who've been hurt by somebody, who've been hurt by something. It's not our job to say, well, it's their responsibility to fix it. This good Samaritan said, I'm going to take that responsibility on me. Somebody dropped the ball, but I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to walk him into the house of God. 
I'm going to walk them into this place. I'm going to grab their hand and I'm going to be a bridge. Why? Because they don't know who Jesus is. All they know about Jesus is what the media says. It's what the hateful people say. It's negative things about Jesus. So guess what we do? We need to say, hey, look, I know what you have heard, but let, let me come and take you so you can actually experience. Because there's one thing hearing about God. There's another thing experiencing the power of God. We need to experience the power of God. So this good Samaritan says, I will be a bridge for you. The thing about a bridge, and, and the reason that some of us don't want to be that bridge is because we think the purpose is to be walked on, but it's not. The purpose of a bridge is not to be walked on. The purpose of the bridge is to make what was impossible possible. Is to make what seemed impossible. See, if someone looks, well, there's no way I can get freedom. Well, there's no way I can get over this. Well, there's no way I can get away from this addiction. There's no way. And guess what we do? We come and say, hey, look, my job is to show you that it is possible. Right now it doesn't look like it, but just come with me and I will show you that when you connect yourself to Jesus, all things are possible. Everything is possible. Come on. The greatest thing we can do with our life is to be a bridge from where they are to where Jesus is. Someone who gives their life to be a bridge. There's a lady's name. Her name is Irina Sendler. She was a Polish woman in World War II. It's a shining example of what it means to be a bridge. The story of her goes on. It says when World War II broke out, she was not a Jewish lady, but she was a nurse. Poland was one of the most infected areas in World War II. Almost all the Jewish people in World War II in Poland were killed and wiped out. And that's what took place. But Irina Sendler knew that she had a mandate from God to not just sit back and watch, but to actually do something. Now here's the thing, Poland was the only country in all of World War II and all of that time that if you were to help out any Jewish person, that you would get killed and your entire family would be killed. If you just helped somebody out, not just you, but everybody that you knew would be killed just because you helped somebody out. But I love Irina Sendler because she said, that's not going to stop me from doing something significant. That's not going to stop me from being a bridge. So she would go into the concentration camps as a nurse. She would use her marketplace influence to do something great for God. She would use the position that she was in to do something significant, to save some people's lives. The purpose of your job is not just to make money, it's not just to get an education, it's not for that. The purpose of your job is to build the kingdom of God. And so she goes in there, and she, she goes in and she, she looks at you know, the guards, and that's what her purpose is. But every time she would go in, whether it be with a medical cart or a suitcase or a handbag or anything like that, every time she went in, she would take a little baby with her out. A little Jewish baby she would take out with her every single time. And this is what her and her team would do. They, they would get the real name of the baby and they would write it in a jar and they would bury it in the dirt. So that way after the war they could get that jar out and reconnect the babies with their parents. Unfortunately, because most of their parents were killed, most of the babies weren't reconnected with their family. But they were put in homes that loved them and cared for them the rest of their lives. By the end of the war, Irina Sendler and her team rescued 2,500 little children from that concentration camp. Irina Sendler herself rescued 400 every day. One day she got caught on the way out. They put her into a cell and they started torturing her. They started breaking her wrists and breaking her legs and, and, her, and her ankles. Never once did she give up anything. Never once did she say anything. They walked her out to get executed. On the way out to get executed, her team somehow were able to bribe for her life and give money for her life, and they took her out. And you would think then, man, you've been through enough. Why don't you just sit, take, sit this one out? Why don't you just take a break and not do anything? You have done enough. But she doesn't stop. 
she gets better and starts to continue to do what she was doing in the first place, to save more people's lives, to be a bridge again. See, when God has called you to be a bridge, it's not an eight-hour workday. It's not 40 hours a week. It's a lifestyle of a bridge. It's not a vacation. You don't take a vacation from being a bridge for Jesus. It's all the time. And that's what she does because she knew that people were in need. People were desperate. People were hopeless. And if she could just give them a little bit of hope, then that was enough. There's another man named Carl Lutz. Carl Lutz was a diplomat. He was a diplomat in Hungary, but from Switzerland. And in Hungary, it was, it was, it was horrible as well and during World War II. And the Jewish people were being killed and sent to concentration camps. And they were all being sent off. And, and somehow he, he used his diplomatic power from Switzerland to get 8,000 kind of visas to get transportation for the Jewish people from Hungary over to Switzerland. Safe passage for him. And, and he did that. And they okayed it. But what I love about him is he didn't stop with the 8,000. See, every person had to have a number, one through 8,000. But what he did is he gave multiple people numbers. So it wasn't just 8,000. And then he gave one family a number. So by the time they gave him permission to get 8,000 people out, he ended up saving about 65,000. 65,000 people. He set up 75 safe houses in Hungary to put people up. See, his day job was to be a diplomat but he knew that he was called for something greater, something more, not to just sit back and watch people die, but to intervene. In Denmark, in Denmark, the, the Nazis were going in. They were going to take all the Jewish people and put them in concentration camps. Well, then the, the, De- the, uh, the Danish uh, resistance rose up, and guess what they ended up doing? There was about 8,000 Jewish people in all of Denmark at this time. They ended up saving 99% of them and shipping them over to Sweden to a neutral zone because they all rose up together and said some things are not okay. It's not okay for people to perish. It's not okay for the enemy to rob them. It's not okay for the enemy to kill them. See, we're living in those times right now. Maybe we don't have a, a, a dictator like, like Hitler ruling over us and, and trying to wipe out people, but we definitely have an enemy called the devil who's trying to ruin people's lives, who's trying to take him out, who's trying to slowly kill them. And you and I are meant to go in there just like these people that we read about did and be a bridge for them and stand in the gap for them. And say, look, I'm going to help you out. You don't know what's on the other side, but I do. Because I've been there. And I can't help but tell you about it. I can't help but show you the way. It's a phenomenal thing, but, but we don't do it. We don't do it sometimes for a couple different reasons. The first reason that you and I will kind of be hesitant and hard to invite and hard to bring is because we always think that somebody else will. We always think that somebody else will do it. Well, the pastor will do it. Well, my leader will do it. Well, the evangelist will do it. Well, all these people, they'll be the ones that invite. They'll be the ones to bring. Don't you know me? I can't talk right. I don't have a big place of influence. I can't bring that person. Well, every time we do that and abdicate responsibility to somebody else, it's called the bystander effect. The bystander effect is something that was kind of seen and established as a common thing right now. I was watching a video, and the video was a security camera on the streets of New York City. And and this video camera saw this old lady was walking and a man came up and tried to grab her purse and run away with it. And then a man intervened, a good Samaritan came and intervened. And he got in between the old lady and the robber and he ripped the purse from the robber and the old lady took off. Right when he did that, the, the guy that was robbing her took out the knife and stabbed the good Samaritan. And then took off running. That good Samaritan collapsed on the street in full view of the camera. Full view, he couldn't move, he couldn't walk, he was just lying there. And this is New York City. 
okay? It's not like somewhere in the Midwest where there's nobody there. You know what I mean? There's a ton of people all the time. The video camera showed one by one people walking by this man collapsed on the sidewalk. Walking by him. One person picked him up and looked at him, put him back down and kept going. Another person came and took a photo of him and kept walking. After about 20 people walked by him, by the time the ambulance showed up, he was dead already. Because everybody thinks somebody else will do it. I got to go somewhere. I got something to do. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he came from. That's why Jesus says a certain man. Because he wants us to know, look, it doesn't matter where they came from. It doesn't matter where they've been. We are called to every single person. See, that man was a certain man, but people walked by him because we all think somebody else will do it. I wonder if we changed the way that we thought, if that would change how we invite, if that would change how we bring, if that would change when we look at somebody that we know that needs Jesus, what if we thought instead of somebody else would do it, what if we thought, what if nobody else does? What if we thought that? What if we thought that we were the only hope for them getting connected to Jesus? What if that's the way that we thought? So that's what keeps us from inviting. The second thing that keeps us from inviting is that we really don't understand what is on the other side of our invite. We don't understand the impact that that will have on people because if we understood, it would change the way that we invite. So I have this video that the team made, a phenomenal video of some people in our church and what happens when you just invite one person and who's affected by it. So I want you to check your eyes on the screen as we look at this video. I drive so far to C3 Church because it is the church that has just been life-changing for me. I mean, I, I look at people differently. I, someone else is having a bad day, and the old me, you know, I might have had a bad day right along with them, and you know, it could have been a problem. And now I look at them and think, you know, maybe they need to go to church. I never had the chance to, you know, really talk to my wife for years. It was just about business problems, and we never talked about how you feel in, you know, stuff like that. Now, coming here to C3, it showed me, you know, the, the, the way to live life. He had been blessed and saved from all the anxiety and the depression that put a strain on our relationship. So we were just like, this is it. Like, we're meant to be here. Like, if God can redeem him from that, like, he can help us in so many other things. I was living at San Francisco at the time. I was here on vacation visiting my family. So we were in Palm Springs at the time and then we drove down here. And I remember coming in here thinking, oh my gosh, everyone is so nice. This is not the, this is not what I expect when I come to church. So I came to C3 about two weeks after moving here from Australia and it was just like walking into home. I thought I would move to another country and I wouldn't have any friends. I would have made my mom, my stepdad and that's it. But I walked in here and it was just this big family that was so willing to accept me and wanted us to be on the journey with them. It was like I knew that this is where I needed to be. This is what was missing in our, in our life and in our marriage and as a family. As I started serving, I really felt just a, a positive change in my life, you know, in, in the way that I actually received the word and the way that I worshiped. When people find out, you know, that we live in Palm Springs, they always ask how we could possibly make the drive, but for us, it's not our drive, it's just our commute. This is where we do life. This is where our family is. 
now I'm actively coming here every Friday night and it's awesome just hanging out with these kids and um, at the same time doing what I love. I wanted to be a graphic designer, I studied design the whole bit and I was able to do that here and I was able to flourish and I was able to work with other kids who were passionate about it. And like being there on a Friday night is not for us, like for our enjoyment, but it's like setting up something for kids to enjoy was like my sweet spot. I signed up for the internship about a month after coming to C3 and it totally changed my world. It was a struggle for six months and then after that six month mark I realized this is my home, this is where I'm meant to be, this is the calling that God has for my life and it wouldn't have happened unless I walked into the doors of C3. The invite to church started out just as a text message from my mom and she actually said, you know, you're coming to church with us. And I was sort of reluctant, but they just basically grabbed me by the hair and forced me to uh, force me to come to this church and, you know, spend a, spend a Sunday out here. It was awesome seeing them and how powerfully that this church spoke to them and I could see that, but I was still a little bit reluctant to, to come out here. Once I came, it was, it was just, it was game over. My buddy shows up at my house on a Saturday morning um, pretty early and he comes in and he just says, you guys got to come today and you got to check this church out. You're not going to regret it. You know, we said, well, hey, maybe if we start going to church, you know, maybe we can save our son. So that's kind of what we were thinking. And uh, we said, okay, we'll be there. And uh, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. But I know that once we got out of the car, I just felt like this overwhelming feeling that came over me. And I knew at that moment that we were in the right place. It was about December of 2014. There's a lot of things going on in our life. Um, our family was a bit scattered. Our oldest was living in San Francisco after graduating from college. And our youngest was here in San Marcos going to school. The girls came home for Christmas after being away. Tanya had been coming to C3 for about four months and she had already brought her boyfriend and we saw the change in her life. So she invited us. She just said, you know, by the way, this Saturday we're going to church. And nobody questioned it because we had seen the change, so we, we were interested in, you know, coming to see what had happened. I was living out here by myself, and I got a job at a little coffee shop called Better Buzz. And I was working there for a year, and in that year I met Megan. She was just like so lovable, so joyful. She always had friends coming to visit her at work and that was something that I just like envied. Like I wanted that so badly to have like joy, to like be happy and that was something that I saw in her and because she would only work twice a week and I was like, what else do you do? And she's like, oh, I intern at C3 and I was like, what is C3? Being a part of C3, it's such a real church and my experience with God and my experience at, at this church, it was it was just too real and too amazing to not share it. Church would come up in conversation all the time. I'd just be like, hey, come to church. Like, come with me, I'll save you a seat. Tanya was really resistant. She would find every excuse in the book to not come, which I was expecting and she came and she got her world completely rocked. Just seeing her like put a little hand up for the first time to accept Jesus, it was it was crazy to watch. Seeing the fruit of one invite, it's so powerful. One, hey, will you come to church? Has turned into two families coming, and it's not just ritual come to come to church on a Sunday. It's life. They have transformed their lives. God has done such an amazing work in their life. 
seeing them serve in church, the whole family here is amazing. It's so cool to be a part of the domino effect of someone coming to church. How incredible is that? That's when, you, that's when you realize what's on the other side of one invitation. One, hey, would you come to church with me? I bet if you were to ask those families, was it worth it? Was it worth you coming? Was it worth that one invite that Megan gave Better Buzz? You know what Megan told me was in the video? She said this, that she was about to quit Better Buzz. And she said, I'm not quitting until every person from my work comes. And look what happened. Look what happens. Lives change. Eternities transform. Because one person says, hey, would you come? It's that easy. It's not a complicated thing. It's not about you being qualified. You are qualified. God has qualified you. Just tell people how great and what God has done in your life. Let them see it through your life. Last thing is this. Is you and I will sometimes find it hard to invite because we don't really know what Jesus has truly done for us. Or maybe we lost it. We lost that revelation of what he really did for us. Because if we had that renewed passion and that renewed revelation of what Jesus did for us, I think it would change our entire life. It would change what we do. It would change where we serve. It would change who we invite. It would change the purpose of church. It would change everything. If we could have a new revelation of what Jesus really did for you and me. There's a story of a lady and her family. They're at the Grand Canyon and there's a van. She's in the van. The kids are in the van playing and the mom steps out to kind of get a look at the scenery. And she looks over and somehow the kids had knocked the emergency brake off and the van started to roll towards the edge of the cliff. Starts to go towards the edge of it and the mom looks with panic. And she knows that she can't get in the door to save him. So the only thing that she can think to do is run as fast as she can and dive in front of the van and lay in front of it so the van comes and runs over the top of her. But because she had sacrificed her life, the van stopped and the kids were saved. She was paralyzed from that day on. She still has the scars because of that decision that she made. But she was able to save the lives of her children. When I look at Jesus, that's what Jesus did for us. He saw that you and I were in a van on the way to destruction. And he said, I have to do something about this. It's a story of a dad and he has his little newborn baby and he's walking into a 7-Eleven. And his baby's in front of him and he turns and looks and a car is, is kind of going full blast and full speed directly at him and knows that the car's not going to stop. And so the dad, all he can think of is, man, I have to protect my little kid from this baby or from this car. And the car's coming right at him. And, and at the last second, the dad turns and puts his back towards the car. And the car comes and plows right into him and pins him up against the building. After the accident, the dad was quoted to say this. He said, that as the car was coming, I knew, I knew that I could take the hit, but my child couldn't. See, I think when man sinned, if you were to get a picture up in heaven of that moment, I believe God looked at Jesus, and Jesus looked back at God and said, I can take the hit. I can take the hit. I'll go down. 
Because my kids can't. My children can't take it. Because the wages of sin is death. You and I had a car coming towards us. And certain death was on the other side. But a perfect father came down. The perfect daddy. And came and held us. And said, I can take the hit. I'll sacrifice my life. So that you can have freedom. If we can get a revelation of what he has done for us. It changes everything. It changes how we talk. It changes how we live. It changes how we see people. Because you and I walk by people every day. Do you know this? Do you know 2,000 years ago, like Pastor John was saying, when Jesus rode in to be crucified on a donkey, that people came and laid palm branches down and cried out, Hosanna, which is translated, save. All the people were lying in the street saying, save save do you know that 2,000 years later that is still the cry of the people the only thing is they don't know who can save them every day there are people today right now at this moment in their house in their apartment crying out save me from this abuse save me from this addiction save me from this depression Save me from this fear. Save me from this broken relationship. Save me. And guess what they do? They look to a medication. They look to a pill. They look to a drug to medicate what God can eradicate. They look to that thing. Why? Because they don't know. Our friends don't know. The people don't know. All they know about Jesus is a God that hates sinners. And so that's why it is our job. To come to our friends, to the people that we know and say, hey, look, I know you've been crying out, save me. Let me introduce you to the only one that can. The only one that has the power to take you from that pit you've been in and put you up on the mountaintop. The only one that can save your marriage. The only one that can set you free. The only one. Let me take you to him. And I'll be the bridge. And if I got to take your hand and walk you into church and sit next to you and walk you through the pathways and walk you through baptism and walk you through and be with you, then I'm going to be that person. Because the only way to real life is by loving our neighbor as ourself. It's by being that bridge, not to be walked on, but to make what was impossible possible. So here I am, God, here's my life, my purpose, my plan. It's to be a bridge. It's to be a bridge. That's why the Bible says, let your light so shine, so shine, that men would see it and glorify God because you let your light shine. Come, come, let me show you a God who so desperately loves you.